Hi! Happy official spooky season, everyone! Yes, it does start in September, didn't you know? We have some banger horror comics in store for October, but before that, we're doing a couple of sweet ones, like today, where we're discussing Radasha and the Mountain Troll, written by Kari Lynch and illustrated by Bailey Rosenlund. As per usual, we spoil everything, and this one you can actually read for free, so do that if you want to experience this for yourself. And, as previously mentioned, I, Jaws, would love it if you consider tossing a coin over at patreon.com slash jaws underscore stone to support all this editing endeavor. Cheers. Let's hunt some trolls. Hi, I'm Paul Duffield, a comic artist who once drew something incredibly shaky with his left hand and was told his art looked better that way. Hi, I'm Joss, and for the last roughly month I've been stuck in Baldur's Gate and I wouldn't have it any other way. I've been a bit cheeky. I think that this comic is especially hard to blurb because it's quite short and you can't give something really specific away about it. So in lieu of a blurb, I'm going to recommend that you go and listen to Kate Bush's Under Ice and then read the comic. Every now and then you come across a comic that so deeply impacts you it can alter your creative course. Rodesha and the Mountain Troll, written by Kyrie Lynch and drawn by Bailey Rosenlund, was that comic for me. A short story about misplaced fear, ignorance, and compassion, Rodesha is a quick yet moving experience I highly recommend. Part of the reason that I said that about the blurb specifically, I just want to get this out of the way ahead of time. I loved this comic, I really enjoyed it despite this. Yay! But I figured the whole thing out from the blurb. Oh, you read the back? Yes, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. No, you don't you don't read the blurbs. That's illegal. Yeah, unfortunately. And I what I was trying to figure out was whether I would have understood all of that about the blurb if you hadn't recommended me this comic cuz there's just something very you about it. <laughs> don't put me on blast. <laughs> <laughs> especially especially cuz last week we were talking about monster fucking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am predictable if nothing else. <laughs> But that's not to say like the story is predictable or anything. I really can't figure out w what it was. I think it was the line, the actual blurb is, every year on Rodesha's birthday, a carcass shows up at the foot of her frozen village. And every year, Rodesha feels more hate for the mountain troll who puts them there. Now, I don't know that that's really vague. I must have just got that from the context of you having recommended it to me, because I don't think anyone else would get it. I shouldn't have talked about this so warmly. It's it's a dead giveaway if I go, <laughs> I really love it. There are some huge elements that I am heavily gravitating towards in it. And I knew it wasn't going to be a story about like a warrior killing a troll if you really liked it, because that's, that's just a bit done. Despite you doing the heinous crime of reading the blurb, I am very glad that you liked it. I am very excited about us comparing notes. If I got the gist from the text, so full disclosure for listeners, I had to gag Paul yesterday. He was so eager to talk this comic with me on text. And I was like, shush, 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 we got to talk about it on the podcast. We need to save content for the recording. Yeah, it's the number one rule. Don't talk about it before you turn the mic on. Yeah, it's like the comic podcast Fight Club. We don't talk about the comic podcast Fight Club. Until we're in the comic and podcast Fight Club, yeah. Exactly. But you did give away that it seemed that most of your notes were page notes. Yeah, so because normally we do something pretty long, like we do some really long comics and often multi-volume comics as well. And this is not only short and sweet, it's also relatively not particularly dense in terms of 
the page layouts. There aren't usually very many panels per page and definitely not very much dialogue per page, which is absolutely my personal preference. Mm, I agree. But that meant that all of my excitable notes are effectively almost a page-by-page breakdown of what excited me about the craft of putting this comic together. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. I discovered Rhodesia when it was fairly new, I believe, back in 2020. It was initially released as a webcomic. Since finding this comic, I have developed a mutual communication with Bailey. And when I saw that she was going to sell a physical print of this, I stormed into Discord DMs. I was like, I I need one, I need two, I need one for me and one for my (laughs) co-host. For people who don't know, which I suspect is a surprising amount of people who have found me since, I have, as previously mentioned, created an entire comic called Witchcraft. It was a webcomic at the time. I started it roughly in 2016-17 for real and wrapped it up in 2020. Those years were incredibly formative for me. I developed greatly my craft. The thing is, I have a little bit of an ambivalent relationship with my comic. I finished it in summer of 2020, the height of the pandemic, the height of Me Too, the height of Black Lives Matters, all incredibly difficult, heavy topics. And it felt very anticlimactic releasing something that I have poured so much of myself into, both resources and personality. And it just didn't do anything for obvious reasons. I'm not trying to say, oh, when nobody cared. There were more important stuff going on. But it undeniably fell very flat. I've since removed it from everywhere. The following months, I hit a wall where I completely lost myself. And I've talked about this specific part in depth before, so I'm not going to go into that. Rhodesia is what brought me back to the surface. It's relatively short, so it was an easy breezy read in one sitting, but I was left breathless in the most positive way, going, not only has this story all the elements that I enjoy, it was just told in such an earnest way, and it completely reinvigorated my need to create myself, to also hopefully one day have this impact on others. So that's why Rodesha means a lot to me as a person and a creative. And are the physical books on sale now, or is this sort of like a preview copy? Because I've got a copy that's been very, very graciously um, signed and sketched by the creators. I do believe this was printed mostly for in-person conventions. I don't know if they were ever actually sold online. I'm pretty sure I saw Bailey post about it on her socials. And like I said, I scurried in and I went, can I, can I buy two? I got the impression <laughs> that these were never going to go online. Okay, right. Because one of the things about this that I was very impressed with, because I've done a lot of thinking about adapting webcomic to print and vice versa, is that it reads really well in print, despite having originally been a a webcomic. Yeah, I agree. And this is something I feel like we have touched upon so many times before, how webcomics isn't necessarily for either of us, least of all for me. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Since they, they tend to have this amateur approach, which is completely fine. You know, it's the fucking around and finding out of comics. A lot of the time, that's not to say there's not very professional webcomics out there, yourselves included, and several of my mutual comic friends. But on the whole, a lot of webcomics isn't for me. I do think, like you just touched upon, that one of the common through lines is that webcomics format relatively poorly for physical publishing. Yeah, or they format badly for webcomics. And they publish great in print, but this reads nice in both instances, which I think is a really, really rare and excellent thing. 
I've already mentioned that I sort of guessed the twist ahead of time. And to put it up front, if you've not read it, you've heard the setup. But the twist is that the main character once rescued the troll without realising that that was who she was rescuing. So the sacrifices that are being left by the troll for Rodesha on her birthday are actually gifts. And when Rodesha goes to try to hunt the troll, having misunderstood what's going on, there is just the most fantastic page. Because I knew this was coming, I'd guessed already, but the way that it happened absolutely delighted me because it had been a very serious comic up to that point. There's a particular part at which she confronts the troll. She says, I have come for your heart. And the troll misunderstood, the misunderstands. And there's this incredibly cute little panel of her going, Really? <laughs> yeah, she's like a blushing princess. She's like, oh, she came to my castle to rescue me. Yeah, and that panel just utterly charmed me after a, a really nice setup, but one in which we've had a lot of time skips, so it hadn't really settled down with the characters up until that point. And that was the point at which I knew, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in there. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So I wanted to bring up something straight up, since it has to do with the beginning and also the ending. I personally wish that the buildup about the severity of winter was a little more present since when the epilogue comes around, it feels a little too quick where the statue melts, they reveal that the big bear humanoid is threatening a carved out version of the troll and the troll has been hidden under this snow and ice and it made me go, how long has this winter lasted? This is the one major story critique that I have for this is that I, I just wish there was a little seed to cue me in on just how severe this winter has been. Yeah, I agree. Actually, that's a, one of the very few confused notes I have about this was when that melted. Not only did I pause and go, oh, what, what's going on here? But I also didn't fully get the symbolism until I read the back of the comic because there's a bunch of notes in the back. And that was one of the very few times that I wasn't just fully clued into all of the symbolism going on, all of the various different thematic layers in the story, because it is a very, very thematic, symbolic story, along with being a straight up adventure at the same time. I think, yeah, maybe just a little bit of extra prepping, a little bit of establishment of the fact that it's ice at the base of the statue, because I assumed it was a snowdrift, actually. And that's one of the things when you're working with relatively spare art, it can be quite hard to communicate textual differences between surfaces. Yeah, for real, for real. I too thought it was just snow that was thawing and then I saw it was ice and I went, oh, okay, so that makes sense. But again, I do feel like this could have been more clear if we just got it, I don't need the exposition dumps. I don't need the in ye old times in this ye old story. Don't need all that. Just one character, the village elder or something, in just a side comment, remarking that this has been the the longest, harshest winter we've had. Something, something. You know, a clever, clever writer than me. Which uh, I will say, I do think the writing, even though the dialogue itself is sparse, I will have to give credit to the writer for. What I can only assume, I don't know how heavily they cooperated the layout of all of this, but if Curry Lynch is a very good comic writer, which I assume she is since she wrote this, she has probably also had a lot to say in the pacing of the story. And the pacing, aside from the epilogue, I think is chef's kiss. So first of all, I agree that the, the writing and art go together really beautifully to the point where, much like when we were talking about Step by Bloody Step, I'd 
have been surprised to discover that this wasn't one creator in in a complimentary way. Yeah, or this one summer. Yes, absolutely. Really, the art and the story marries to the point where I'm wondering where is the writer in this and where is the artist? I can't tell where the dividing line is, and that's that's what you want for comics. But I agree with the the pacing on the epilogue. I think partly because it feels like the story ends and then the epilogue begins afterwards. There's a really lovely emotional resolution. I can see why you couldn't really divert from the main story. The epilogue almost feels like an afterthought, even though it's relatively important to the setup of the story. It's an interesting one. The emotional heart of the story really landed for me, though. I think that's what was most important, that I felt sort of really moved by the experience of of the characters who who mattered. The page that really, really invested me, especially the first time around, is they are having a fight in the water. So Rodesha goes to a cave to deal with the troll. Inside the cave, there's a lot of what I presume thawed water, so or thawed snow to make a lot of water. So they end up fighting in this pond-like scenario. And there's a scene where Rodesha is pulled underwater together with the troll. And just for a second, she is reaching out as if to touch the troll's face. And the troll lights up going, she's going to touch me. She's actually going to caress me. And then instead, Rodesha goes for the throat of the troll. And it's so heartbreaking. Mm, I loved that. And that really underscores there's some beautiful panel transitions in this. I was, this is the first time in a long time I've read a comic where I've picked up new techniques for transitioning between two scenes. The first one that really leapt out to me was when we begin the training montage which is a tricky thing to do like training montages are very impersonal things and you've seen them in absolutely everything but the fact that it runs on from a line of dialogue by this village elder suggesting perhaps that Radesha could train to kill the troll and as the line continues it runs into the montage and by the time the line ends she's trained and she's older and that was just Oh, chef's kiss. Such a nice way of, of segueing into a montage. Yeah, and it feels so effortless too. It It's never strained. Yeah, absolutely. And and the art is so expressive. It's really lovely that the characters, the shape language, the freedom of the line work, it's really gorgeous. There were a couple of times where I was a little confused about the backgrounds, again, because the line work's quite spare and some of these areas require a very sort of like textural touch. I think that's just one of those things where if you're doing a webcomic, there's only so much time you can put into it because you're giving it away for free. I'm very glad that you bring up how you love the panel layout and pacing and such. I 100% agree, yet it also brings me to my one other critique of this. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any harsh stuff to say about it whatsoever just to get that out of the way. But I do have one more nitpicky thing. And this is where, you know, the scholars are divided. So I will say, this is definitely a personal opinion thing and do with it as you wish. And I'm very curious to see if you agree. This comic, more often than not, in my opinion, it breaks the rules of direction, the quote unquote rule of direction. Oh, yes. Where many times either Rodesha or the troll are looking inwards towards the spine of the book. And I have explained this before, but I will gladly do so again since it's Probably my most passionate topic when it comes to paneling is that I am of the firm belief that the first panel should lead you to the next. Not necessarily incredibly obviously, sometimes it's painfully obvious, but when it's done right, it's very, very beautiful and subtle. 
the thing with Radesha is that I found myself confused in the more messy scenes. And I mean messy as in like they're fighting one another, not that they're poorly executed. But in the more busy scenes, I found myself misled in terms of direction of action since both characters tended to stare away from the next panel instead of towards it. There are some moments when the either deliberately or accidentally the panel flow is is really nice in that respect. I'm looking at one particular one where there's a waterfall falling down and Radesha sort of shelters herself by directing the waterfall with her shield and the way that the waterfall flows really nicely directs you down to the next panel and that's an action inverted panel that's going not left to right it's going right to left but in that in that moment that's what it needed to do so i wonder whether it's just a matter of inconsistency but one thing i i did notice as well is that there are occasions where you're meant to read the panels out of the order that they would be in if there were a sentence like top left to bottom right mm-hmm. the way that a nine panel grid reads I think it's testament to the quality of the art that a lot of times when that happens, I happened, I didn't even clock it until I went back to the page. But there were a couple of times where it lost me doing that. It's always a risk when you want to drive people entirely by flow, as this comic often does. And I wonder to what extent that's to do with the fact that this is an adaptation and some of this would have read very differently in the webcomic because there's no such thing as a spine in a webcomic and I'd imagine a lot of this is stacked on top of itself. Yeah, that is a very good point that it was initially made for the webcomic format and not for being physically published. I also do think these are relatively easy things to edit for a physical release at least with this kind of style where more or less what you would have to do is to flip the panels i will say though that the overall effect is more successful than not to me i do think it's a very ambitious way of using panels and i applaud it and i think it's like i said more often than not i found myself very invested it's just that you know me and you know that i am I'm relatively stiff when it comes to the direction of the eye. And one of the sort of unforgiving things about comics is that you can establish any conventions for your comics. You could have them read right to left, left to right, top to bottom, upside down, no matter what you want. The number one thing that you need to remember when you're creating your own visual language in a comic is just consistency. It doesn't matter what you do, you have to be 100% consistent. And if you're not, there has to be a really good reason why you're breaking your own rules. Otherwise, the reader's going to get lost or they won't understand why the rules are inconsistent. And it's really, you know, when you're a a sort of a literate comic reader, as in, you know, it's not your first comic ever, you can really easily pick up on new rules. A perfect example is that Stars for Love from Trungle's comic. And actually, one of the things I've noted down that I really love here is the use of the red spot colour. It's always little details to pick out shapes or emotions high emotions love or hate and that's really lovely especially when a little bit later the comic gets very red in a really really tense moment yeah the scene where the troll tears out her heart to literally give her heart to rodesha oh the pacing is so exquisite where it really lingers this was one of the notes that i took is the amount that this comic is allowed to breathe and linger on very important moments. Arguably, this is already a short comic, right? It could have been a hell of a lot shorter if it was made by lesser people. What happens is basically a very, like you mentioned, a very quick montage of Radesha training to become a warrior when she's older. Then she's sent off to the cave. She finds the troll in the cave. They have a face-off and then they resolve it. And that's pretty much it. 
that could have been a much shorter, much more confusing, much less fulfilling story in the hand of less capable creators. It really is very deftly done. The transitions between these different sections are just so fantastic. There's another one that I've noted down here, which is when she realizes that she's met the troll before and she starts to look around the cave. And this is one of the moments where the panels get a bit confused, but it really helps because she's obviously confused and looking for visual cues around her. She realizes she's seen this sort of indentation in the rock before. And then suddenly she's looking at herself in that moment, she realizes that that's where she met the troll when she was younger. And then the scene plays out in front of her. And then we smoothly transition back in. And I've left a note, which is that the storytelling here, it reminds me a little bit of really deftly done animation. I don't know if you're familiar with Cartoon Saloon. They did The Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's something about the vibe of the storytelling that reminds me of their incredibly lyrical storytelling, the way that, especially in Secret of Kells, the way the story flows effortlessly around itself and non-literal transitions are mixed with literal transitions and, oh, beautiful, really nicely done. One incredibly remarkable thing that's leaping out to me now is how earnest this story is. It could have quickly become corny or cheesy or weighted territory that we've seen a million times before. But it's so honest and raw and sincere in such a beautiful way. I really resonate with this story. Even if you took out all the bits that I'm crazy about, that it's queer, it has monsters. Even if this was a story about two straight humans where one was misunderstood, it just carries that sentiment so exposed, like hard on your chest kind of way. No pun intended with like what this comic is about, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's just so gorgeous. Yeah, some, I think sometimes just a, a simple idea gets done with such sincerity that you can really feel it in every part of the story. And I think one of the things that it really carries well is that it's it's so thematically rich. You've got the symbolism of the ice thawing. You've got the symbolism of the monsters, misunderstood sacrifices, all of these sort of different things coming together. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't mind that I guess the story ahead of time, because it was still such a pleasant experience and a heartfelt experience to go through it. It was almost like an anticipation rather than a disappointment. Yeah, I am very relieved that my pre-hype of this didn't tarnish your experience in any way. Yeah, I don't think it. Uh, don't think it did at all. Because again, I don't. I, I know you wouldn't recommend something unless it was worth reading. But being worth reading isn't necessarily. You will. You will definitely enjoy this. So it was great. And I, I think a lot of it is carried through the incredibly expressive character designs. There's a particular page where she first sees the troll properly as an adult. It's just the title page for chapter three, I think, called A Duel. And the monster's looking down and looking up in the middle of washing her hair, I think. And it's a really gentle expression. And there's something just like a little bit sexy about it as well. I could really, <laughs> like, I, my note was sort of nice movement with the eye looking up, definitely sensing the monster fucking here. <laughs> I think she's wringing out her hair, if I were to guess, since she's risen from the water in the previous page. I would guess the movement is wringing out water from her hair. That would be it, yeah. Right, it was out of context. I thought it was washing because she's in a sort of a waterfall, I think. She was auditioning for the herbal essence commercials, duh. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's this lovely kind of marriage of the design of the troll, which has a really beautiful sort of femininity to it. But at the same time, it's just pitched perfectly. And I really appreciate it in the back. One of the nicest little development notes I've seen in, in a comic was all of the sketches where she's trying to find the right design for the troll. Really loved that page because you can see the final design emerging. And as I'm looking at these sketches, it's like the final design takes all of the ideas that have come before and also takes them to the next level. And I think that's one of the reasons that design is one of the reasons this comic is so strong. As someone who loves character design myself, it is such a messy, sloppy road when you're trying to get something down that is not necessarily 100% clear to you. In the notes, she didn't seem to have any issues nailing Rodesha's design. That seemed to always be very clear for Bailey. But the troll, she, in her own words, struggled much more with. And it's also present in the sketches. They're all beautiful, but the very first one is a very different rendition than what she eventually landed on. And I can just speak from personal experience that that road, oh man, it can be so demotivating. Especially if you, in your mind's eye have a very clear-cut idea, but your hand just isn't fucking responding, dude. Oh, I know that feeling. Struggling with a character design that you can't get sometimes feels so hopeless. Truly. But also the joy when it clicks and it, you know, from the text accompanying the image and from the image, it very clearly just 100% clicked when it clicked. Not to be biased because the troll is the monster of this story in a way, but man, it's such a good design. And to that point, I made a note. So I had completely forgotten that a lot of this is based on Norwegian designs, which, you know, duh, in hindsight, but it could have easily been Icelandic or Danish or Swedish. It didn't necessarily have to be Norwegian. But a note that I made to myself reading this again, the troll in several of the scenes, especially when she is underwater, reminds me so much of a figure in both Norwegian and Swedish, but I know the Norwegian version of fables called Nucken in Norwegian. And in English, for some reason, it's translated to the neck. It's this kind of swamp bog creature. In Norway, in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, we had a painter called Theodor Kittelsen, and he lived in just this picture-perfect area of Norway with giant mountains, beautiful water scenarios filled with water lilies. I am going there almost every year with my mother, since there's a museum there now, honoring both him and a bunch of other Scandinavian painters. And when you're there, you can just feel that energy. You can feel that Oh, yeah. He is our godfather of how trolls were designed. He has drawn hmm. most of the Norwegian trolls how we know them. But especially Nucken and how he, in the most famous painting of him, he is barely breaching the surface. You see this grass round head with just two glowing eyes glaring out at you. And the glare is so strong that it even reflects in the water. It's such a beautiful painting. I'm so curious if Bailey was inspired by this or knew of this fable at all, since they clearly have some knowledge about Norwegian culture and Viking stuff and so on. Yeah, it's mentioned several times in the back. And there is that scene when the troll rises from the water the eyes aren't sort of shockingly bright, but they are highlighted in red through the smoke in a sort of distorted way. And I love the sort of folkloric feel of this. It's one of the things that helps it feel like both a sort of a Beowulf-style story that might be told around a campfire or something like that, and also a real account of someone, and also a sort of an ancient legend all at the same time. 
has a really lovely essence about it. And it's very easy when you're doing that kind of thing to go a bit too shallow and to end up with something that feels a bit generic. But this felt rich enough to carry its own influences, I think. That also leads me to a question that I had for you. I had two questions for you, so I'll ask this one first. What is your general thought on the short comic format versus a more fleshed out format? So I love short comics. I really like things that just tell themselves and complete themselves and do exactly enough to give you what you need. And I felt like with with that one exception of maybe needing a, a page or two to smooth the transition between the ending and the epilogue and a page or two to set up a few more things to to prep for the epilogue. It's exactly the right length as far as I'm concerned. I love both, but in a way, sometimes the shorter self-complete comics are the sweeter experiences. They often stick with me for longer. How about you? I absolutely agree. I also have to say, I maybe this is a stamina thing, but I also enjoy making short comics much more than longer format comics. I feel I can commit so much more of my body and soul to quick bursts of heavy creativity versus years and years of a very long story. It is why I'm currently very much struggling just taking the dive into making witchcraft again. Right, yeah. Actually, it's very interesting. I don't know if you mind me saying this on air, but I've read the script or parts of the script. And I love the pacing. And one of the things I love about it is that it feels like a series of short stories linked together, little vignettes that kind of just illustrate a moment and then flow on to the next. And I've not really seen that structure in a comic before. I'm really excited to actually read the comic for that reason, because it's like you've taken that uh, strength of the short story and then infused a long story with it, which is a really neat concept. Thank you. I love this um this particular length of story. It's not massively short by by some standards. One of the things about comics is that no comic is really a short comic because no. they take so long to make. It really isn't. Calling it a short comic, I don't mean that as an insult. I think it's just easier to distinguish it from something like, you know, Full Metal Alchemist or something that is like a billion volumes. <laughs> or even something like This One Summer that's sort of nearly 300 pages long or more. Yeah, exactly. This is very concentrated in the best way. And I always recommend, actually, I, I used to run workshops for children interested in getting into comics and stuff like that. And one of the first things that I said to absolutely anybody who's interested in getting into drawing their own comics is, I know you want to draw your epic. I know you have your 10 volume fantasy story that's <laughs> brewing inside you. Finish a short comic first. It's going to teach you so much. It's going to give you a sense of accomplishment and achievement. And it's going to set you up for that epic that you want to tell. And you'll be so happy you did it before the epic. <laughs> I say a lot of the same when people ask me comic-related stuff. I also say, don't go for your magnum opus. Go for something short. Create four pages and see if you enjoy it. Because if you don't, you're kind of fucked because you're going to make a lot of pages. Oh, yeah. If you suddenly find yourself in the middle of something and you're like, I hate doing this. It kind of sucks having spent a lot of resources and time on this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and I was going to say, I've actually seen, tragically, a few creators I know who were clearly trapped in that cycle where they really don't like making comics very much, but they're in the middle of a ridiculous epic and slogging through it because they owe it to themselves to finish it, which is a really hard place to be stuck in. And unfortunate. I will say, I am absolutely not a teacher. But it's my sagest advice, is try it first in a very short format, even if it's one page, two pages, 
see if it's something that ignites anything positive in you. And if not, maybe turn it down for now. That's not to say that you will never find that spark, but maybe just right now isn't the time for it. Making a comic, I firmly believe it's a medium that you have to approach with the right mindset and at the right time for you, or it's going to be a miserable experience. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully I'm not misinterpreting this and the creators were struggling through it and and hate their creative process, (laughs) but I felt a lot of joy from the creative process here. It felt really kind of heartfelt and especially the notes at the back. It felt like the creators were really into what they do. You can often tell that as well if if someone's just doing something by rote or if they've ended up doing something that they're not enjoying so much. It's like a performance, like a musical performance or something. You're expressing emotion through your characters and through your line work and all that kind of stuff. And and it, it can show. Rodesha to me is a love letter to comics. Absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much just the craft of the way that it's put together. It was literally sort of stopping every few pages to be like, oh, ooh, I've not seen this transitional technique before. Yeah, one of my favorite panels, aside from when Rodesha and the troll are interacting where I gobble everything up, is in the very beginning when Rodesha is about to enter the cave and it's two long panels, but effectively four panels mushed together. My takeaway is just that there's something so skilled with being able to tell a story effectively of four panels in two and never confusing the reader where you... This is a a scholarly example in how to leading the reader and not confusing them with direction, pacing, perspective, everything. I always know that Rodesha is looking at the cave and about to enter it, but still there's four different depictions of that and they are vastly different, yet never confusing or boring. And sort of the values on the cave mouth help divide the illustrations subtly, not too subtly that they don't flow into each other, but enough that you can tell you're now looking from a different perspective. Really beautifully done. Mm. There was another moment. It's after Rodesha pushes the heart back into the troll. She wakes up suddenly and grabs Rodesha's arms and sort of pulls her slightly close, but almost slightly unconsciously, she's still got her eyes closed. The framing and pacing in that page is lovely. I could hear like the docky docky going in Rodesh's heart as she looks up at the troll in that moment. <laughs> it suddenly turns into a shoujo, but in the best possible way. And that kind of deft use of storytelling techniques from different sources is really nice throughout the comic as well. I have another question for you that I just thought of. Oh yeah. And I, I might cut this out because it might be too childish. <laughs> Did you wish that the character smooched? I did, yes. I was sort of expecting it and it didn't happen. I don't, I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think that's childish. <laughs> you know, because there, there is a genuine romantic slash slightly sexual energy to, to the connection between Rodesha and the troll. It's obvious from the moment they see each other, especially with that hatred turning into love trope where, oh no, they're fighting and now they're kissing sort of thing. <laughs> I am torn about it, personally. Oh, interesting. My super bitch-ass romantic butt really wants to smooch, just because I'm hopeless. Whenever characters smooch, I go, yay! Like, you heard me talk about fake, where I was just yelling for the characters to fuck. I just wanted them to bone the fuck down. <laughs> but that's that's me being unprofessional and letting my personal bias get in the way. Strictly from a storytelling perspective, I think it's much more pleasant that they're just in one another's embrace. Have you ever watched Pride and Prejudice, the movie? Are you thinking about the moment when a Corrin Fowl comes out of the water? <laughs> I was thinking, what? No, I, I'm not sure. The scene that I'm thinking about is 
Well, oh man, I don't know the character's name. I watched it once. I'm not a period drama person. I watched it to have watched it. And I watched the one with Kira Knightley and that dude. Don't ask me names. Oh, that's the, that's the more modern one, I think. It, it is. It's way more. It, you're probably thinking of the one with Colin Firth. Oh, did I say Colin Farrell? Oh, dear. Oh, did you? I didn't even hear. <laughs> so the scene that I have in mind from Pride and Prejudice is, I do believe Darcy, Mr. Darcy, question mark, has touched Kira Knightley's hand for a brief moment. And then they zoom in on his hand and it does the little twitch flex. And it's the most subtle way of showing that a man has been horny in the history of mankind. <laughs> and you can also read it as him being revolted by her, but everybody knows that he's definitely super ready to get it on. But all they show it by is this little hand gesture. And that's kind of the same thing that I enjoy about Radesha. Them standing there in the end holding one another is that Pride and Prejudice moment where the so-called fans go, because it's so sweet and romantic. Maybe it's unsatisfying to someone who just want to see people go to Bone Town, but for me, a hopeless romantic, it's is everything I could ask for and more. Distance plus longing equals effect. Like I think you could probably just that's the equation of romance almost, isn't it? Pining is my big kink, dude. In which case, this is probably the perfect story for you because I feel like this entire troll's existence has just been one giant pine. I selfishly want the proper epilogue where the two of them is ruling this viking village together as a wife and wife oh yeah of course because the implication of the epilogue as well is that the troll is sacred to the village which would mean that that would confer like a really important role on rodesha as well if they were if they were partners i'm just saying rosalind and lynch if you're if you're listening to this um Hi, it's me, your girl. I'm pitching your next idea. <laughs> Where's Rodesha 2, the Jaws edition? <laughs> Maybe that's what I should just dedicate my career to, fanfic on AO3 about Rodesha. <laughs> that's definitely the fanfic material right there. <laughs> One of the reasons that I mentioned Kate Bush's Under Ice is because it has this incredible moment in the song where it talks about her skating over ice and that there's something deep and vast moving underneath that she slowly realizes is herself. And I loved that moment when you see Rodesha's reflection in the ice as the troll's offering her heart and the ice is cracking as if something inside her soul is cracking. That was beautiful. Like that moment when the hatred, the frozen hatred starts to break and she realizes what's going on. I feel me talking about this comic is just going, oh, it's so good. I'm having one of those like, oh my God, it's so good. You're fucking loving it. I'm not able to articulate it <laughs> at all. And I'm going to edit this and once again, picture my face in the palm of my hand and smacking it. <laughs> That's how I felt about listening back to our Walking Man episode. <laughs> I was just like, oh, so much I wanted to say. And I was just like, I really like the illustrations. One thing that I do want to mention, though, since you brought up a song, presumably you read all the notes in the back. It says here that, and I'm, I'm going to pronounce this the Norwegian way, so it's going to sound very stupid, probably mixed with English, but the head honcho of the town is called Manneli, is how you would say that in Norwegian, which is very close to Manly, if you translate it. Basically, Father Manly. It says, his name is an ode to the old Scandinavian folk song, Hermanneli, which inspired this entire story. I initially heard the song in 2019, covered by the band Jarmarna. It's a very dark, moody, broody song, which has a big influence on the visual look of this comic about a mountain troll who tries to seduce the village man. So they've clearly gender-swapped this thing. But I think that's very neat that this entire story, its roots is from a song. 
And then you also thought of a completely different song for this. For some reason, I've been holding off on listening to this song. I know I'm going to love it because I love dark folk music. (laughs) (laughs) The through line for me is even without knowing this, I could kind of tell that the source inspiration was music because this is what I would call a lyrical comic and not just from the dialogue, basically the very little that is. So I couldn't say it for the dialogue. But the way that this flow, it flows like one track of a song. It has bursts of intensity and bursts of calm that is also very typical to music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can almost feel a chorus verse structure coming out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that when I read it, but looking back on it, I fully agree. And I can feel the sort of shift in sounds over time as well. Like when they're fighting, it's very intense, very rhythmic clashing. And then when they plunge underwater, you've got that kind of more expansive, slowed down, deep bass sound. I'm thinking of a particular Nine Inch Nails song called The Great Below. I mentioned to you that I had two questions. And my final question for you is... You mentioned to me in text yesterday that you didn't necessarily enjoy when there's notes included in the back of a comic, like there isn't this one, but in this one you did enjoy it, that there's creative notes. And I wanted to ask why you enjoyed it here and why you don't necessarily always enjoy it. I think it's often because when people put that kind of stuff in, they, they're just seeking for ways to pad out the story or pad out the page count. So often, all you're getting is just another view of the character and a little bit that says, I drew a character, but I felt like this was a really lovely, genuine insight into the creative process that I really enjoyed reading. And especially that page with the the troll sketches, it's very unusual to really be able to feel someone's genuine seeking through their art in looking at art that's been arranged in a page at the back because often people also want it to be too neat you know oh, here's my character turnarounds or something like that you know, there's value in that i like seeing it but sometimes it just feels like a little bit of a sort of a throwaway segment i guess i had a similar thought myself that in this one it really works Instead of trying to fill in story gaps that should have been exposed in the comic itself, it just gives me more of a story that already feels complete. And I, if you want the juicy little extra lore behind, basically like a behind the scenes kind of thing to see how this all came to be, then that's what these notes fulfill the purpose of. Never did I get the impression that they were there to pad out, as you put it. They helped as well. There was that one question I had about the symbolism of the statue, which was, according to the notes at the end, that the statue has been protecting the heart from the bear, who's sort of looming over the top, and the village had misinterpreted the statue because only the bear is visible and the bear was the god. There's a nice sort of symbolism there because the bear is the sort of the hyper-masculine, hyper-aggressive nature that has been drilled into Rudesha during her training and then the troll is the more sort of feminine protective and that's what's revealed as the ice thaws both in her heart and literally it's it's a very nice double image but I just needed that moment I think it was partly because the red wasn't there I think if the heart had been red on the statue too it would have just it highlighted that sense of protection as it was it it felt 
more like a moment of defeat almost. I personally do not agree that the heart should have been pink. I think then you could have been easily confused to the actual troll sitting there with her heart out and it not being a statue. Good point. Yep. So I personally think it's fine that it's all rendered in grays or blacks and whites. I'm left with more questions about the bear, I guess. Who is the bear, truly? Is it a god? Was it ever a god? Was it nature? And you, you ought to really protect this troll, which is clearly nurture. So it's nature versus nurture. Or is it just a wild bear? That was maybe <laughs> a thing that wasn't that clear to me once the statue became revealed. I didn't personally struggle reading it as a statue or that the troll is sitting there with their heart out. I think the meaning behind the statue itself is a little lost on me, but not to an extent where it bothers me. It's one of the situations where I'm, I'm left with questions and I don't necessarily mind that. So I'm just reading the back. It says here, the bottom half of Isolde's statue is bound in ice from the many years of constant winter. However, it's revealed in the epilogue that the statue of the troll was hidden beneath, protecting her heart from the ice god. It is only upon the capture and safekeeping of her heart that she can return the land to warmth. Maybe the issue is that that's the leap. It's embedded there, but it's embedded in reverse. The thaw only truly begins when Radesha puts the heart back in the troll in the story. And then the idea of the statue is that it's a safekeeping of the heart, but the heart has been removed as well. It's almost like a kind of a visual trap. I can't think of any way of representing the heart being safely inside the troll without also being removed from the troll in terms of the statue. I would have portrayed the statue version of the troll more actually fiercely protecting her heart than holding it out as a sacrifice. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I think that that was, that was the ambiguity. I, did, I, I could tell it was the heart, but I couldn't tell why it was out. And I guess that's the, yeah. And the fact that the statue looks sort of very upset as well. I guess this kind of visual symbolism is really delicate. And as I mentioned before, it's a real testament to the comic that all of the other visual symbolism in the comic just absolutely leapt to the fore. I was never confused about why a set piece was set somewhere or what we were meant to think about this ice cracking or what we were meant to think about this heart being held out or but sometimes with this kind of thing there's no win. <laughs> At the end of the day it's very individual. I'm positive there's people who sees this statue and they go oh yeah I totally understand what's going on no questions asked. Maybe we are overcomplicating it. Maybe we are too yeah. nitpicky. Possibly. I also think the creators thought a great deal about this. I mean, you can see the bear reflected on her shield as well in that lovely design that they picked for the shield emblem of the bear. And that links the bear even further towards the martial side of things, which is how she's brought up. Yeah, the only extra note I've got is that I really love the shapes and the character designs, like the shape of the priest's head and the shape of the troll's head and the shape of Radesh's head. They've all got like a really distinct visual language to them. Yeah, the shape language in this is off the charts and Bailey's work in general is so rich and nuanced when it comes to shape language, which is one of my giant artistic fetishes. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That, that's one thing I absolutely know for certain I haven't captured in my art and I really, really want to. And it's another thing that reminded me a little bit of Cartoon Saloon because they work with incredible shape language. Oh, wow. And again, it's it's more of a vibe than a direct comparison because this looks very, very different from, let's say, Secret of Kells or something. But Yeah, it's uh, what we touched upon last episode when there's a difference between saying that, oh, this totally looks like or this super reminds me of XYZ. This is its completely own separate thing, but it carries some of the same incredibly high-end values 
and deserves to be honored the same way. And in those cases, it's sometimes actually quite hard to tell whether the creator's even read or seen the thing that you think vibes with it because those qualities can be found in all sorts of different places as well yeah two very different people can land on the same artistic voice or a similar artistic voice without knowing about one another yeah yeah which is really fascinating i love that kind of resonance in creativity where two creators can just totally get each other with completely different histories you're all working in the same environment and we shape the environment but we're shaped by the environment as well which is a really important distinction yeah, I guess I just sum up by saying I find this hecker inspirational. Again, whenever I see something that's this accomplished and self-published or put out there for free, I just want to say thank you to the creators. It's amazing. And it's the kind of thing that would have inspired me to make comics when I was younger. Mm, yeah, that's a very beautiful way of putting it. I want to wrap it up by doing a call back to our previous episode where in the very end of it, I said that I wanted to specifically thank all of my current mutuals and art pals and friends for inspiring me. And it would be a big miss of me to not say that one of the people specifically that I had in mind at that time was Bailey Rosenland. And that I want to extend a very sincere and heartful thanks that Bochi and Kyrie Lynch created this together. Because without something too dramatical, as I mentioned in the intro it reignited something that had not only fallen dormant in me but i think unnurtured would maybe even have vanished altogether so thank you so much to both of you for yeah kicking my creative butt back into it and thank you for the for the copy as well jaws and and to uh to carrie and bailey too for the signing and the sketching i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna keep this as part of my collection <laughs> yeah this is a very valuable possession to me in the next episode of the Art of Comics, we are tackling a relatively big boy, The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. Okay, well, I'll see you then. then. Yeah, bye! Bye! I'm you haven't really read it? To go into it? I haven't read it. Wow! I think I played it. Uh, <coughs> sorry. <laughs> don't <laughs> die, please. <laughs> Germarna? I don't know how to pronounce that. Germarna? Jarmarna? I have no idea how to pronounce this because I've never heard of this. I guess on to next week. Are you oh, sure no. you want next week? <laughs> oh, I'd gotten so good, I did it. I, I, uh, oh, I'm going to need to get the main character's name. Sorry, sorry. Future. Of course, it's Rodesha, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Doi! <laughs> Boing! I wonder what um, the, the Barbie and Barbie is called. <laughs> <laughs> I better look it up. Okay, right, sorry. Sorry.